0: the basket. That's it.
1: Okay, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series, and uh, let's have our joke for the night.
2: Good evening, my name is Noah, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I think I've got a joke here for you guys, okay? All right, it's called Make That Call. Sponsor says, I haven't heard from you in over a month. Don't you know that alcoholism requires daily work on your program? What's your excuse, mister? The sponsee says, I was just doing what you told me to do. The sponsor replies, what are you talking about? I told you to keep in touch. He says, you told me to work the steps every day to avoid people who irritate me.
1: Thank you, Mo. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name's Ammer. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might and will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? All right, let's start our meditation. Let's say the fog light prayer. God, your love shines through me. Find your love through me. There is a solution from Big Book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked someone to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is.
3: I am an alcoholic. Right. Uh, spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change is sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, They must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. But such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Uh, At this time, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode, or just turn them off. And now I get to introduce our speaker for the next 12 weeks, and uh, our speaker tonight is Peter. Um, uh, Yeah, Peter is somebody who's helped me a ton and continues to inspire me and has a super powerful message that I always get something from. And uh, without further ado, help me welcome Peter.
4: Name is Peter. Recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober, in part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, you know, thank the group for having me back here. Um, I remember when the group started uh, another location. Seems like a uh, hundred gray hairs ago. Um, it, it was uh, something when I walked in here. Um, the room was packed, and they had this Monday night meeting where they go through the book and. Uh, They asked me to do this Thursday night meeting, and I couldn't believe how many young folks were all lathered up going through the book book, and really excited about it and were sponsored up. And um, this group has maintained that. And the trusted servants are here really early to get this place looking like a conference every Thursday. So I thank the group and the trusted servants for keeping the doors open, the lights on, the coffee going. And I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, June 23rd, 1988, is when a loving God separated me from alcohol. I'm grateful for this gift of sobriety. I'm grateful to be a member of good standing in an Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, thank you, God, for that. Uh, part of my job, uh, being in this fellowship is to uphold the traditions as well as our tradition in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, to carry, uh, this message to those who care to have it. I've been guilty of carrying the message to people who want to know part of it, that in the early days we become very evangelical and, you know, if you don't do it, you're going to burn at the stake kind of thing. Um, but, uh, God has brought me to a place of, um, Maybe for the first time uh, in a long time, uh, it's the past couple of years, being really uh, okay in my skin on most days. Uh, I understand how broken and flawed I am, and I'm really okay with that. Not an excuse to be slothful, but uh, I'm just okay where I'm at. Maybe it's just age and and being here for so long. Thank you, God. Um, The longer I'm sober and, and, and the older I'm getting, I've shared this from a million podiums. Uh, I seem to be very, very grateful uh, uh, to different things, uh, not only what God has uh, given me and continues to give me, um, but especially grateful for the many things God uh, continues to remove from me. Albeit I leave claw marks in some of those things, but uh, the many things God removes from me, and um, very often it's it's external stuff. It's the the what I think is the money, property, and prestige to make me a better man, to make me okay, to make me a better AA member, to make me a better a husband, it goes on and on and on, if I can just get that, I'll be okay, and I put my finger on some of those things, and it was nice, but I was still not okay, so I'm very grateful for God allowed me to have this inward journey. Uh, The other thing that's been made abundantly clear to me is the importance of the spiritual walk, um, that relationships are extremely important. This whole walk is about relationships, if we think about it, personal relationships. We have the intimate ones. We have very close friends. We have a lot of acquaintances, in AA. well, what do they look like? What do they sound like? In my head, not externally, what does it look like inside of me? Am I cleaning up old scrapes? Am I trying to offer an olive branch? Am I trying to make my way to that person? Whether they reciprocate or not is none of my business. Am I too afraid to tell someone I love them and afraid they're not gonna reciprocate? Newcomers don't do that with the opposite sex yet. You have plenty of time to do that. Um, But what does that look like? And so I need to be traveling light and Alcoholics Anonymous because God has me with the full schedule. I can't be consumed with me after all these years. And quite frankly, my story is boring. I know how my movie ends. I've seen it a million times. I know how I navigate through life on my own, living with self-reliance. I'm very grateful for many of those things. Um, This this journey called sobriety, uh, I have found not only from my own life, but watching others is fragile. I can take it for granted. I've been guilty of taking it for granted. In fact, before COVID, you know, go to that meeting. I don't like that meeting. I go to this meeting, but I don't like that speaker, and then COVID hit, and I, I longed to get together. I was like, I got this thing taken away from me, and one of the lessons I learned from COVID, we have Zoom, but it's nothing like this, is how precious this thing is called sobriety. And myself would want to lean on it a little bit. It hangs from a thread. Wants to just push it a little bit and see how much, how much a uh, uh, room I have, how much wiggle room I have, and it can come down on me all at once. And even with life in general, I mean, if you're around here a while, you know you're going to bury a bunch of people unexpectedly. Some you expect to go, but this thing that we have called life, that God breathes breath into us, is fragile. And now if you're new and you're young, you say, well, I got a long way to go. It'll show up. And you start to really want to make the days count rather than counting the days because they're that precious and that valuable. And you don't want to go to bed with, oh, my God, I owe so many amends. There's too much plaque on the soul. One of the things I had to take a look at, am I, am I seeking God or am I seeking a spiritual walk? When I was new, I would say I'm spe- seeking a spiritual walk and the truth is true until we discover a new truth. See, I thought God was a byproduct of seeking a spiritual walk. It's the other way around. What I need to be is a seeker of God first. There are instructions on how to get to him, and part of that is the spirituality. If I'm chasing just spirituality, I don't have to believe in God. I'm just chasing information to help me feel better. New age stuff, old age stuff, whatever it is, new books, and it's all Okay. But I'm never, I'm never there. I don't have this personal experience with this God. I don't have this personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. I'm walking without the knowing that my creator walks with me. But if I'm a seeker of God, he'll put the things in place like a sponsor and the steps and meetings to get to him. And the distance isn't far at all. I thought the distance was a long way. It feels like a long way. The distance is, there is no distance. All I need to do is turn in in order to go out. God's closer to my own breath. It took me a long time to get to that place. Oh, my God, it's God. In all my brokenness, all my flawed character, in all of it, it's the way he wants it. I'd be, this would be the most boring talk if I told you how perfect I am, because no one would identify. In fact, if we think about it, some of the gifts we have, maybe some people are entrepreneurs, some people are, 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 are bankers, some people are brokers, and, and people are rich, and people aren't. That actually separates us. What brings us together is not only the common problem, but our shared brokenness, our woundedness when we walk in, when we tell a story, what it was like. We all get it. And sometimes when we're talking about what it's like now and some of the, the ebb and flow of life and the struggles and, and finding yourself in a tight spot, we all get that. We identify. We lock into that. Whether someone came from Park Avenue or Park Bench, pain is pain. And usually by the time they get, right before they get sober, we all know what they're talking about. It's that awful pain, that humiliation and degradation that they all felt they couldn't get out from under. I get that. And so Alcoholics Anonymous uh, brings me to you. And I've shared this from a million podiums The three places that I do well, I'm most comfortable, I do better when I'm in an AA meeting, when I'm around you. I'm just better. I I interact with the the normies or the civilians out there. It's interesting to watch them in the store and interacting with each other. It's like watching aliens go about their day. (laughs) You know. I'm just better in here, I'm better in church. Everything makes sense here, everything makes sense in church. I'm most comfortable here, most comfortable church. And all one with my wife. Everything makes sense. I'm most comfortable. I'm just better. So I have so much much to give back and be grateful for to Alcoholics Anonymous. I I sometimes sit back and say, what would it be like being a normie? You know, going to work, coming home, having dinner, going to sleep, waking up, going to work, coming home, having dinner, going to sleep. And day after day, that's that's a nice life, I guess. But with no AA, not a huge fellowship that's grown grown up around me that we can go anywhere in the world and walk into an AA meeting and we have fresh friends. Did they be excited to get to a conference on the weekend or get to a home group that night or this person who's speaking, that person's speaking and we, we all go and hear them, and then we go to the diner. It's the only place in the world that I, a group of people I know we can go to the worst diner with the worst food, the worst coffee, and the worst service, and when it's over we go, what a great night, let's do it tomorrow. You know? <laughs> I've learned I've had to, uh, uh, even, even in adversity, stand with God. And sometimes it feels like I'm, we can feel like we're standing alone with God, that we have no support. We're not really, but it just feels that way. Now, I, need to, I need to claim God in Alcoholics Anonymous. I do I speak for myself. We can call it a higher power, but he has a name. It's called God. We can call it a lot of things, but it is a G O G. And at some point, I need to lock into that and claim that and shout his name from the rooftops and not apologize for it, because our book talks about it over and over and over again that if I really want to be, get recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, I need to get a God that's personal to me, whatever that God is. And Dr.'s opinion says we're restless, Ill, and discontented unless we experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes from taking a few drinks. And unless the psychic change has occurred, I'm doomed. <coughs> So back in doctor's opinion, he's saying these people need to find a psychic change or a spiritual awakening, which means I need to get God. In the beginning of our book, it talks about that. And little by slowly throughout the book, it keeps talking about you got to get God, whatever that God is. And we can avoid it all we want. I know out there God's under attack. It's an unpopular word. It's not like that in alcoholics. Anonymous. We're free to talk about it. We need to talk about it. We must, especially to a new person. I know some folks don't like to talk about God or a higher power to a new person. I will. I'm not going to deny the solution or the truth. And if they have issues with God, so did I. I. can talk to them about my issues with God. But through a lot of inventory and a lot of praying and a lot of seeking counsel with the sponsor, I got okay with God. We must. If we think about it, we're really all okay with God because the soul is always right. It's the mind that's not okay with God, the ego that's not okay with God because it just might die if I do get God. I might get sober if I do get God, and the mind doesn't want any part of that. June 23rd, 1988, uh, I get separated uh, for the last time from alcohol and I have nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm not being falsely humble. It's just the way it is. We live life forward and understand it backwards, Yeah. I would say I surrendered on June 23rd, 1988, and you can say I did, but I really didn't. And I can tell you how much, you know, how hard I've worked for my recovery. We hear that a lot of anniversaries, and, and that's okay. I'm not going to get in debate over that. But my personal story is I got surrendered, and I did basically nothing to get Well. God gave me a G.O.D., a gift of desperation, on June 23rd, 1988, for a brief moment in the back of an abandoned building hallway. Desperation screamed a little louder than the ego, and there was a vacuum. The ego got crushed for a moment. There was a little space, a vacuum, for God's light to get in, and then he started giving me some traction, and it didn't feel godly, sound godly, or look godly. I certainly didn't smell or appear to be godly. I was a homeless bum on the street, literally a bum in the street. By the time June rolled around, 1988, I'm in the back of this abandoned building and, and it's as if the seas parted for a moment. There's this, it, Bill says for a brief moment, I, I needed wanted God. I think Bill says it. Now, I wasn't grasping at God and going to have the spiritual awakening. I just knew that this God out there is the only power that's going to get me out of this. Because the pain was too great. The emotional pain, the physical stuff, I I was tore up from the floor up. I mean, I, I weigh about 205 pounds right now. I was 130 pounds that day when I checked into treatment. You know, I have hepatitis C, and I'm running around urinating blood, and I'm dying of alcoholism, you know. I can't tell you, up until that point, the last square meal I had, I would boost a pack of Twinkies from the local bodega. That was breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because any hustling money was drinking money, pill money. and That's just the way it went, and I can't tell you the last time I had a bath, so I looked pot. And I got up off the floor that day because I would, I would come to, Bill talks about coming to in the terror and man and say, we can identify with that when we, we come to and we're like, oh my God, I need a drink and I have no money and my body's vibrating. What am I going to do? Who am I going to call? Where am I going to borrow? What am I going to steal? What am I going to do? And my body hurts too much to go out and do, do the jitterbug out there. What am I going to do? I just wish I would die right now. And that's what was, I, I was looking at on, I even know it was June 23rd, by the way. When I got into treatment, you know, if you go into treatment, I mean, I'm sure a few people have been in treatment, um, when you get to that admissions person, you know, and they're so happy to see you, especially if you've got good insurance, they absolutely love you. <laughs> and uh, I remember this woman telling me, she said, Today, honey, today's June 23rd, the first day of your rest of your life. Aren't you happy? no, really. I'll be honest with you, I'm not, ha- not too happy. I'm thinking homicide and suicide at this point. It? And that, but it, it kind of went back here, June 23rd, 1988. It's, it's actually more important for me than my own belly button birthday. It represents more to me. But I was in this hallway, and um, I, Bill talks about having the courage to do battle was not there. I, I'm laying on the floor like usual, and I come to. And I didn't even realize back then I'm going through withdrawals, but I, I know now. I'm cold and sweating, and my body's shaking, and it hurts. It hurts. My belly's upside down, and I'm having problems with my belly and digestion. It's just not working. I'm getting the dry heaves all the time. And I got up off the floor because I knew I needed to get out there and get some money quick, get to the liquor store and just straighten out for a little bit. Now, I can't tell you that I would get drunk anymore. because Maybe I did, but it was basically not getting sick anymore. I know lots of folks, well, some folks talk about partying for a long time. And if that's your story, that's great. I don't identify with that. I don't even know what that means. I had one drunk. It was an innocent drunk the first one when I was 14. After that, it was battle out there. There was no partying. There was no good times. Even when I had money and ample supply of whatever I was into, I knew it was running out and I had to get more soon. It was constant, ongoing battle. I don't understand partying. It was torture. And on this particular day, I'm laying in this hallway and I I go to get up off the floor and my knees go out from under me and I go down on the floor again and then life changed. Everything changed. And I had no idea what God was putting in front of me at this point. I couldn't even comprehend what He was about to do to my life. But what preceded that was a sincere cry, a sincere plea for mercy from this loving God. I couldn't do it anymore. And I shared this from a million podiums. I will never forget my exact words. Please take me from this. I don't want to die. I wasn't thinking about I'm going to go to detox and then go to treatment and then come to AA and do the steps and be Moses on Monday morning. <laughs> it, w- it wasn't like I wasn't even thinking about treatment or de- I've been through six. That stuff doesn't work. I've been to AA drunk. I never showed up to AA sober. I knew this was a cult. My religious community is not going to work. I remember going to a priest and begging for help. He said, I don't know what to do for you. He prayed for me, blessed me, and threw me out. And so much for being, you know, my Catholicism, that doesn't work. I was very angry with them. I wasn't thinking like something good was going to happen. I just didn't want to die. And that was the plea I made to God on that particular day in the back of this abandoned building. Please take me from this. I don't want to die. And then the dots got connected. God gave me the gift of desperation, my first GOD. I was desperate, but He gave me enough to reach out and to kind of communicate with Him. And God gave me the willingness to put one foot in front of the other, start chopping wood and carrying wood. I have no idea where I'm going. And my dad found me on the street. Maybe I'll talk about that at some point. I don't know. But my dad was in Atlantic City, woke up around 2:30 in the morning, and, and went looking for me and found me on the street corner on that particular day, and I was in serious trouble. I have no idea what it's like as a parent to find, I don't have children, but to find any of your children in the condition I was and not be more than alarmed and in a panic state, this is my son, he's dying. I mean, my, I, I had these construction boots and the right boot was missing the front. I had sweat socks on that were filthy by at that point. I had blood-stained soil pants on. You know, my hair was filthy. I had a brown turtleneck and a black zip-up jacket, and I'm clammy, and I'm cold. And I, I remember I'm feeling feeble all the time, weak and feeble. In, in, in downtown Brooklyn on 4th Avenue and 17th Street, there's a, from 4th Avenue to 5th Avenue, it's kind of an incline up to 5th Avenue, if you get the visual. And right in the middle of the block is an uh, entrance to get onto this thing called the Prospect Park Expressway. And you have this, like this, uh, I guess this area um, off the side of the highway where it's just grass and trees and people throw bottles in there. It's just like kind of a dump. And I remember walking up to Fifth Avenue to this liquor store and literally leaning on the sides of the fences of the houses, the front fences, because I couldn't walk. The legs were too heavy. And I'm kind of hunched over, like if I live to be 100, I'll never be as old as the day I walked in here. And in that little grassy spot uh, is where I slept uh, a handful of nights. There was nowhere else to go. So on June 23rd, 1988, uh, I make this plea to God, and uh, my dad finds me, and I get into my seventh treatment center. And I'm rocking and rolling, and I'm, I, I'm crying. I have these crying jags, and they're not medicating me enough, and my body hurts. But what really raced wild was my mind. How did I get here? It happened to me many times when I was out on the street. You know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're running the streets trying to panhandle. And I realized if something happened to me, something tragic, like I got shot, stabbed, or run over and died, I'm a John Doe because I have no license. I don't have a wallet. There were no cell phones. I'm just some bum they found, in a, you know, in the street somewhere. I'm a John Doe. And you, you want to scream out as loud as you can. And you felt like no one's going to hear you. No one's paying attention to you. You know, I'm walking down a block and people will kind of step to the side or cross the street. And I'm not a dangerous guy. I mean, I'm not a fighter. I was never a stick-up guy. I'm not that violent. I didn't have a violent past. But I, I, I couldn't look pleasant. I know I didn't. So they sti- sidestep you. And there's no identity. Become a non-person person That's why I like to stop and roll down my window with homeless folks now and ask them their name. I'll tell them mine to give them a moment of dignity because I know what that's like to be there. It's awful. And you just feel like you're in in, in a crowd of people screaming, somebody help me. And no, they're just going about their business. You don't exist. And perhaps God orchestrated that way to bring me closer to him and take away any distractions. I'm glad I didn't have a girlfriend to call. I'm glad I didn't have a parent to call. I'm glad I have friends to call. Because it would have been another reprieve and started all over again. Sooner wrinkles get out of my belly, I was alone. And it was awful. I'd never survive it. But it brought me to a place of just me looking at God, please help me, I don't want to die. And I got placed in my seven treatment center. Um... It's a long way from picking up Colt 45 at 14 years old and it's euphoric drunk. and try to capture that elusive feeling, try to grasp that, trying to get it for the next 15, 14 years, and I couldn't get there like the first drunk. It's truly Satan at work, the great trickster. This is wonderful this is going to last forever. I love the effect produced by it. And then right into the hell we go and we never get there. But the, the trapdoors have trapdoors, and the consequences get greater and the humiliation gets more painful and the degradation is unending and I can't get out. And he laughs at w- watching me because he tricked me again. This is alcoholism addiction. That's what it does. It's something so great at work, trying to get me drunk again. I've heard it many times. My wife says it all the time. And when I would first hear it, I thought it was kind of cliche and kind of corny. And it sounds good for AA. That old time is in AA would say, "The longer I'm sober, the more I need God." I said, "Come on, it's the truth." I'm flying blind at the beginning, just going to meetings with everyone else, following instructions from a sponsor, calling about what color shoelaces should I wear, what kind of belt should I wear, what meeting do I, she likes me, what do I do? It's simple stuff. And then you get like 20, 30 years, and you have a career, and you have family, you have kids or grandchildren, and you have money in the bank, and you have a car, and you have a house, and suddenly this could be taken away in a minute. I need a lot of God just to navigate through that stuff. Because if everything's I got in AA can block me from AA. The things that God has given me can block me from God. If I'm not too careful, because the ego gets stronger too, the longer I'm sober, it knows how I operate. It knows where to get me. Let's get him on the side here. Let's attack on the flank. Let's get him somewhere. And I stop paying attention to it. What what begins to happen, even, even if we're new, we come in this way, it can happen again. I go spiritually deaf. I can't hear God anymore. I hear a lot of things. I hear what's on Facebook, I hear what's on the internet, I hear what's on the news, I hear the gossip at a meeting, I hear the gossip in a diner, I hear a lot of things. And a lot of things are trying to tell me what I'm supposed to be like, how much money I'm supposed to have, what's good looking, what's ugly. It goes on and on. I'm trying to mold myself, and I hear all of it. But the one voice, the most important voice I've gone deaf to is God, because I'm paying attention to everything else. It comes a point in this journey, I don't care about those voices. They hook us once, but I really don't care, because that changes like the weather anyway. The one voice that's consistent and pristine and always right is God. And that's what this is about, to get me to that place. It's not, if you're new, I'm not talking about religion. If it's religion for you, then great. It's just a different walk. A different point of view, different set of perceptions and conceptions. And the good thing is this thing that tells me to go do it again is removed. Our 10-step talks about that a day at a time. Imagine going week after week, month after month, year after year, and you're not thinking about the very things that killed you for so long. I need to be careful for sprees. Because doctors' opinion go through, we go through a census series of sprees, we emerge remorseful, it's a firm resolution, I'm not going to do that again, but it says it's repeated over and over and over again. I can identify with that, With drinking, in and out of treatment, and, and, and so on, but what about when we're sober? The sex sprees, and the food sprees, and the gambling sprees, and the fear sprees, and the gossiping sprees, and the sprees, the shopping sprees, and I'm restless here and discontented, so I need to go on another spree, and I'm all over page 52 Sober. Completely agnostic, completely untreated, but my ego says, don't tell anyone. You have five years, 10 years, supposed to be risen above all of this. I don't have the power to battle alcoholism, but there is one who has all power. I don't have the power to fight off temptation and evil, but there is one who has all power. I don't have power to fight off defects of character, but there is one who has all power. May I find him now, not in 90 days. I need to come under his authority at all times and submit to that because it's always better than me running the show. And maybe over the next 12 weeks, uh, 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 God allow me to be transparent and tell you some of the debacles I caused by living my life on self-will, thinking I know what I'm doing and you, all of you don't. Mm. I get into Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Actually, after uh, uh, the seven treatment center that continued from Long Island, New York, out to uh, Minnesota, and um, I spent uh, a whole year out there I the treatment and halfway house and something called sober living and three-quarter. I mean, there's all these these little uh, things that you went through. I had no idea what I was doing. I was petrified most of the time. God put me around a bunch of New York knuckleheads like me, so it was kind of like being back in the neighborhood. But these guys were sober, and they were old timers. They had three months. <laughs> you know, the guy with six months in the sober house—I mean, he's Moses. <laughs> he actually makes his bed every morning, and this is unbelievable. You know, um, and so I ran with those guys. Um, and about a year later, I came home, and I was brought to my first home group, the Free Spirit Group, and I uh, got a sponsor. His name was Tony N. Now, he wasn't real popular um, by a lot of the folks there because he walked around with the big book. And when he, you sponsored him, you went through the big book. And it was a lot of don't drink, go to meetings, make 90 meetings in 90 days, put the plug in a jug. Folks, God bless them, but that wasn't the solution in the book. In fact, if that stuff worked, I wouldn't need Alcoholics Anonymous. I wouldn't need God. I'd just, okay, I'm put the plug in a jug and go to meetings, sit in the back and go home and everything's groovy. In fact, I don't even need a meeting. I need a girlfriend. I need money. Mm? And a moderate and a hard drinker could probably do that. We get a lot of folks coming in. They're banged up. They meet her or him. They caught. They get married. They come here with their baby, you know, a little baby in the carriage, make a guest appearance and don't come back again. They're hard drinkers. I die on that. So, this guy took me through the book and he showed me one of the first things, the first promise in the book. I get recovered from a single hope state of mind and body. To show other people how we recovered is the main purpose of this book. And in the third edition, this is the third edition, we had the old blue and white cover. And when you open it up on the inside, it says, but the basic text pages 1 to 164 remains unchanged. This is the AA message. And that's the message he felt responsible passing on to me. We trickle it right back to uh, 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 Clarence Snyder. Cleveland talked about a 92% recovery rate right back then. They didn't have 90 meetings in 90 days. There was a meeting in Brooklyn, if, I might, if my history is right, a meeting in Cleveland, a meeting in Akron. That was it. How's that possible? We have a billion meetings, and I don't know what the recovery rate looks like. It's 100%, by the way, for those folks who open up the big book with the sponsor, follow the instructions, I'll never drink again. But as alcoholics, we like to tweak a little bit. You know, well, I don't really need, I take what I want and leave the rest. She's cute, I'll take her, all of you stay. And that's what it looks like. <laughs> So we began this journey through the book, and I had no clue what I was up against. I knew I was alcoholic. I way beyond conceding to my innermost self. I know what I am. I'm alcoholic, and I can't stop drinking. I got the, once I pick up the cravings on. But what he broke down for me is step one at a different level, and how step one gets to meet me 35 years later. It meets me still. Even though I'm not thinking about a drink, I got to look at bedevilments and current unmanageability. 43 pages plus doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion is about 10 pages. So we can say about 53 pages talk about step one. Six and seven is a paragraph. Ten is about a page and a half. Step 11 is about three, four pages if I'm right. Step 12 isn't even about the spiritual awakenings; about just going to work with others and practicing principles. We got chapters the employees, the wives, and family afterwards and vision for you. How it works are steps three and four. We got but so it's all broken up. When it comes to step one, doctor's opinion plus 43 pages to get in here to a guy like me to remove any lurking notion, any reservations, any ideas that maybe I can do this on my own. And they do it brilliantly. It talks about the body, the mind, and the solution to all of this. And so what my sponsor did was walk me through it. Now, I know I'm alcoholic, but I don't understand the depth of step one and what that looks like. (coughs) Powerless over alcohol. I I have no control. And what what I had to learn when I got in here, I still don't have control. In fact, one of the things I looked to control when I walked into AA was my life, other people. I'm trying to control what I cannot control. If only the group would do it this way. If only she would behave that way. If only he would do this. If only my boss would recognize my great attributes. And if only the politicians would do this. And I'm constantly in turmoil because I can't control what I'm trying to control. It is the letting go of everything. Not being apathetic, just letting go. And letting God do what God's going to do. I, I love the analogy when I bring my car to the car wash every once in a while. And I, 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 I pull up and the attendant is standing there. And I really want to get my car nice and clean. I'm a little OCD with that stuff. And I like to get my car clean. And, and he'll, I, as I'm pulling up, he'll, he'll kind of go, turn the wheel this way. And then turn the wheel this way. And pull up and he'll say like this, put it in neutral. And then let go. You hear the click and the machine does all the work. I don't even have to dry the car. They got machines that do that too. And I drive away and suddenly my car even runs better when I pull out of the car wash. It just sounds better. <laughs> what I needed to do was when he said pull the wheel left, I did left. When he said pull the wheel right, I did right. When he said stop, put it in neutral, I follow those instructions because I have a desire for something to happen. I need to do that right in here. Follow the sponsor's instructions and just let God do what God's going to do. I am not in the results business, and I'm trying to control that as well, yeah? Palace over alcohol. I don't have power, choice, control before I even pick up a drink. In fact, before I pick up a drink, I'm already in relapse. We all talk about, it. I say it too, John O'Mary relapse, meaning they got drunk, but that's actually incorrect. Got drunk is Got drunk. Relapses while we're sitting in a meeting or home with our family, we're in relapse because it precedes the first drink. The mind's at work. I'll get drunk on a whole bunch of money. I get drunk on no money. I get drunk, I just get drunk. That's what I do. And in a nutshell, step one tells a drunk like me, I am going to drink. Period, it's non-negotiable. The only way out is if I find this power Call God. Other than that, I'm just resting up for another drunk. And my alcoholism doesn't care if I'm sober for two years or five years or 10 years or 20. It's got a lifetime to get me. It's patient. Powerless over alcohol, no power choice control in my mind before I pick up a drink. I'm already in trouble. I'm trying to outrun my own shadow and do five meetings a day, and it's still on me. Making 20 phone calls a day, and it's still on me. And I'm so tight about it, I am wound up tight in the Major League Baseball. Here come the sprees now. Here comes some food, eating disorder. That's what happened to me in my first year. I had to go to another fellowship and therapy for that and go through the steps. Here comes some sex breeze. I have a secret sex life. Now I'm at the casino. I'm gambling. I'm doing whatever I have to do to to combat this thing that's going on. The noise is too loud, and the spring is wound up really, really tight. I need relief somewhere. And I seek relief here, and I seek relief there, and I get relief... But the payoff is more bondage and more pain. Oh, my God, I emerge remorseful. can't do that again, but I got to go back in. And then I pick up a drink, and I have the no power choice control in the body. And I got the mind screaming to do more and the body demanding that I do. It's unbelievable with folks like us. Or Let me speak about me. uh, There's a need to pick up the first drink. The craving, the desire, I should say, comes from the mind, not the body. I never picked up the first drink drunk. I never picked up the first drink drunk. But my alcoholism needs my life to breathe, so it gets, it gets a life by taking mine. And I'll pay any price, I'll pay any price tomorrow to seek comfort tonight. So once I pick up a drink, talk, talk, they talk about the allergy or the, the abnormal reaction, the craving is on Sometimes I hear new folks, and I, did, I made the same mistakes. They're sober 90 days. I got a craving. No craving. The, body, the body's not craving. It's the mind. The, the noise is so loud, and the, the obsession is so loud, it begins to feel physical. And so I get stuck in more. I need more. I'm stuck in M-O-R-E, and I'll pay any price tomorrow to get more right now. I'll figure it out tomorrow. If the cops catch me, I'll deal with it Tomorrow. If the kids or the wife or the husband find out, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Right now, i got to steal this, take this to go do what I need to do, and I'll worry about it tomorrow. And that's how I operate it. And it always showed up. The truth will always find me. It always did. A week later, a month later, six months, a year later, someone's knocking on my door, and the gig is up. And so I got this mind screaming, go again, one more time. It's going to be wonderful. It doesn't tell me about waking up in an abandoned building. It doesn't take, te- while I'm drinking, she looks like Bo jerick and then she looks like Bo Diddley the next morning. It doesn't tell me that's going to happen. It doesn't tell me I'm going to get arrested. It's going to say, you have a drink. It's going to go down so nice. That little burn, that little little thing, and then you're in control again. It's only going to be one. Just take the edge off. But every time I did that, the second drink screamed louder, and the third drink was demanded. And as our book says, dust started one more journey to the asylum for Jem, one more trip to hell for me. And I didn't see it coming. I get blindsided, get ambushed all the time. It sets me up, and then the ambush. This is alcoholism, and I can't get out. And I try to do a lot of things, except what AA tells me to do. I try to manage my life, tweak it, move things around. If I can only manage wealth, only people would do what I want. I blame people for my alcoholism. And it's just a vicious cycle until I wind up on June 23rd, 1988, in the back of an abandoned building hall when I realize it's me against a bottle and I've lost. It talks about this this unmanageable piece here. And you know, when you come out of a a, a bottom, um, for me, uh, the way I was living, and you sober up, and you got like 90 days or six months or a year together, and now I'm bathing all the time, this is like unbelievable, (laughs) I took a shower this morning, I can take one tonight, no one's going to arrest me, this is cool, and I can shave all the time, I could wash my hair, I have money to buy cologne, this is the coolest thing. I could wash my clothes and put on clean clothes and socks and clean sneakers, and I, I'm feeling okay, and I'm putting on weight. And the old timers, bless their hearts, they would see me and say, "Kid, you look good. Great. You sound good great. You look good. You sound good. You look good. You sound... That feels good when, you know, when we feel so terrible about ourselves. When somebody like an old-timer, whether they're real old time or they're sober maybe five or ten years, hey, you look good. Keep coming back. You sound good. Great share. That's just gr- good to hear. But what I do, my ego does, it gets attached to that. I just need to look good and sound good, look good and sound good, look good and sound good. My life's manageable. I'm managing my life again. I'm not managerial quality. The company will go out of business tomorrow. <laughs> the essence of what we're talking What the book is talking about Unmanageable is I don't know what the day is going to look like When a drink says let's go drink and I go And all All that's at stake Relationship, dignity, career Money, all of it I just push aside And people are saying what are you doing You're going to lose heart No I won't You're going to lose your job No I won't You're going to get arrested They're going to throw the key away No I won't I'm completely insane at this point. I'm delusional, illusional. The wheels are off the bus, and I blame you for challenging me about that. That's unmanageability. That I walk into a meeting, I go to the diner, everything's great. On the way home, you ever have the car make its own left turn? You lived on the right, the car just makes a left turn. I just want to see what's going on. I need some legal advice. I'm going to go to the bar and speak to Joe the drunk about legal advice. (laughs) Or go see Flacco and see what's happening on the street. <laughs> I just want to check it out. And then sometimes we say, to heck with all of this, I'm going to get loaded. That's totally unmanageable. And the only way out is with God. There were a lot of bottoms. I hit along the way. And we can hit bottoms in sobriety Not like the drunk bottom Maybe we We're running on too much self-reliance And we hit a wall uh, Consequences in life hit us And we go, oh my God I'm taking over again we can, I've, I've had that happen to me a few times But that bottom That got us sober There's a lot of bottoms that precede that But once we hit that bottom There's no need to hit any more bottoms anymore There's an author talks about how we fall up. Help me, I've fallen into the hands of a living God. It feels like a free fall. There are no rungs to grab anymore. There's no money to buy me out. It's a free fall into a loving hands of God. Help me, it's scary. I fall into the hands of a living God, and we fall into God's hands, and we fall up, actually. Because God's always beyond my cleverest plans. I come up with plans and designs on what my life should look like. I have ideas, attitudes, and emotions which are driving me. I know it's going to be good if I can only feel this way. I need to feel that way. And I'm very in touch with my feelings and my emotions all the time. They're my God. Got to feel good and feel serene all the time. That's being an entitled brat because I'm in an A. I have to feel serene all the time. And I'll do anything to make that happen, including getting drunk. But God's always beyond all of that. I basically have to die the self to have any kind of life. There's something that says delight in the Lord or give me the desires of my heart. Delight in the Lord. Cultivate faithfulness. Hang out with people who are believers in God, whatever the God is. Hang out with people who love Alcoholics Anonymous. Bring it to people who don't know about it. Talk about it uh, uh, to a newcomer How great Alcoholics Anonymous is And how great this God is I don't have to force it to anyone When the opportunity arises I cultivate faithfulness I delight in God in God's light And he provides us with the desires of our heart When we look at the third step it says If we keep close and performers work well he'll provide us with what we need It's the same thing What lengths am I willing to go to To get, to get better Prior to treatment number seven Very few if any Basically, I would do anything just to have enough liquor and pills and some other stuff, substances without consequence. I'll go to any lens for that. i go to any lens, panhandle all hours of the night. In hurricanes, nor'estas, snowstorms, I'm panhandling. I don't care. The cops are down the block. I'll take my chances. Any lens. But to get sober, I pump the brakes. Finding God and doing steps and going to AA, that's a little radical. <laughs> if I want to do that. It's like kissing a newborn baby on the cheek compared to the stuff I had to do. Mm. <coughs> there's a dash in the middle of step one. I thought Bill was such a great writer. he knew how to put a dash. Only people who went to college used dashes. I never used a dash in my life. Mm-hmm. And there's this "We emitous alcohol dash that Eliza become unmanageable. How smart is Bill? But there's a great meaning to that dash that my sponsors showed me. In fact, one of my sponsors would say, are you stuck on the dash? Because what are you talking about? (laughs) You're stuck on the dash. So I come into alcohol synonymous Torah from the floor up And I start to get stuff I start to get a job I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to look healthy I'm putting on weight Got color back in my face And as I said before I'm bathing And I'm changing my clothes and, and you know I'm wanting to walk into a meeting No one's moving over They're hey Pete How are you So I think my life is manageable And all I can do is Keep, keep it manageable Because I'm managing it And now get stuck on a dash What happens That dash which is horizontal Goes vertical Becomes a big wall and all I can see is keep it manageable, look manageable, sound manageable, appear to be manageable. Keep it manageable. I can't peek over the wall. where the first half of the first step says: you're getting drunk. You have no power, choice, control. You'd be end of a day, not a cloud on the horizon, everything's good. The, uh, uh, all my ducks in a row. I got a pocket full of money. Got a nice girlfriend, house, car, expensive cigar, and I go right to the bar and get drunk. That's what the first half of step one does. And I can't even see it. I've gone deaf. Dumb and blind to the first half of the first step. One of, There's a lot of reasons why we sponsor people and work with newcomers to keep that, that, that thing going, keep that stream flowing. I see me in a new guy. I see me in a woman who comes in because alcoholism doesn't care. I can see the behavior. I can see the look in the eyes. When you hear them do this, you can see, you can feel it just like me. It kind of keeps it fresh. I don't depend upon that. Step one meets me currently when I look at bedevilments on page 52. Am I running my life again? Because I, at 14 years old, I was fear-based insecure like a lot of us. Wherever I went, there I was. No matter how many accolades I got because I was a good little musician, I was still stuck with me. I should have said, that. oh, my God, why did I say this? And you're tossing turn all night. And you show up to a street corner, and and guys are shaving already, and I got peach fuzz. I feel inadequate. This guy's working out. I look like, you know, nothing next to this, but there's that comparing. Guys do that, you know. Got to make your way into the crowd. Just not not good at this. I'm too embarrassed to talk to girls. I'm too self-conscious. 28 years old, I walk into AA sober. I got the same thing going on. Same kid. And that can happen while I'm sober, because even though get, I get recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, it never says cured. Seemingly, it doesn't say I have a hopeless state of mind and body because then, you know, just put me in the ground. Seemingly, it appears to be to me and to you that this looks hopeless, but it isn't. I come into Alcoholics Anonymous and suddenly I find myself having trouble in personal relationships. Page 52 talks about. But if anyone's new, bedevilment is something that torments, frustrates, and harasses us. If I had a neighbor who do that, I call 911. I wouldn't invite them in. When it comes to my bedevilments, I invite them in. It'll be different. Trouble in personal relationships, not outward all the time, but inwardly. The noise in the head, the character assassination, the judgments. Scripture says, judge not lest I be judged. But I'm judging all the time. It's okay for me to judge. Don't you dare judge me, though. I'm beyond judgment. Can't control my emotional nature. Pray to misery and depression. I've shared this many times. I'm sitting on the couch. I look around. It's palm trees. It's 90 degrees. On my way up here, the the sign said 90 degrees. I was so happy. 90 degrees. It's like 7 o'clock at night. Florida's the best. (laughs) I'm looking out, the sun's out, it's 90 degrees, the palm trees are blowing in a little breeze, the ocean's just down the road from me, the house is good, the car's good, the career, the relationship, the health, thank you, God, is good, everything's good, this is good. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, my mind, I'll be 64 tomorrow, my mind says, how old are you now? How much more of this you got left? You know you're getting older, you're running out of time, you've been on the clock since the day you were born, you're running out of time, and you keep saying tomorrow, 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 tomorrow's too late, and then what am I going to do, and so I need to go, all of a sudden I need to go snorkeling, camping, fishing, hiking, now, <laughs> need to buy a yacht and be one of those people on Facebook on their yachts, I hate those people on their yachts, with the selfies on a big yacht, how do you do that, mm-hmm. everyone's always at the perfect beach with the perfect sand, the perfect water, I'm home. I'm sitting on the couch And all of a sudden I go from bliss to bleak And then That opens up the door To the mind And it, then it starts The narrative You know the narrative Because the narrative Has a lot of other friends Who like to write too And there's all these narratives And that's at 12 o'clock And by 12.15 Marion comes in says What's wrong with you? I'm going to die That's what's wrong <laughs> Yeah Can't control my emotional nature Pray to the misery And depression that stuff happens. I mean, you know, you get older, you think about it. I'm watching my dad age by the minute. I don't I hope he's going to be here with us longer. That doesn't look too good again. So it's just part of life is passing from here. But I don't want it to happen to me. So, you, you know, here come the narratives. But if I knew who walked with me all the time, I wouldn't be afraid anymore. Full of fear, feeling of uselessness, can't make a living. Maybe I am working. But if you you ask my colleagues, how am I? They don't like me. They wish I'd quit. Maybe I hate what I do. I need to get out. I just did that. I'm I'm still in the business I'm in, but I made a huge, huge uh, 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 takeaway from my life after a lot of prayer and a lot of counsel. In fact, my my wife and I left a bunch of money on the table. I had to get away because it was unhealthy. Because I was making a living, and I was miserable doing it. I didn't like where I was. It was very uncomfortable, and for me, incredibly toxic. I had to get away, and I bruised a lot of, you know, ruffled a lot of feathers, but it's my life. I did it like a professional and walked away and left money on the table. No, God provide. That's when I'm in the sunlight of the Spirit. If I wasn't, I'd be grinding it out and miserable, and I'd be an unhappy worker, which means I make every, everyone else has to be unhappy with me. You know how we are. And I'm full of fear. And when I, when I present to you, I'm like, hey, how's it going? How are you? And I'm dying on the inside. And I'm always wondering, what are you thinking of me while well, we're engaging in a conversation of a cup of coffee? i got to say something profound right now. So they walk away saying, well, Pete's profound. <laughs> I'm too afraid to tell you, I'm not having a good day, man. I don't know what's going on. I'm, just, I'm not okay today. And I'm too afraid to tell you, I'm so grateful that I feel so good about everything because you might think I'm pompous. So I become a non-person in recovery. Those are bedevilments, and they just get louder and louder, and, so, and there's no God in the bedevilments. It's current agnosticism. God's not going to fix anything, so I need to grab the wheel a little tighter, and it's not working. It's like trying to squeeze water, and it just falls out of my hands, and when it stops working, when I can't take that anymore, I'm still an alcoholic. I reach for a drink. That's the default button. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And by the time the book levels me, after 43 pages, they offer a way out. There's a great line on page 43. It says, by this doctor, I'm forgetting his name. It's not Silkworth. It's another doctor out of Bellevue Hospital. And he says a statement about us that we're 100% hopeless apart from divine help. This doctor's opinion of us not not Silkworth, another doctor That me, an alcoholic, is 100% hopeless Apart from divine help That's a powerful statement, that's raw Lack of power is my dilemma With power, no dilemma Once I get power, I'm, I'm locked into this power Which means I'm, I'm hopeful again But the book drives me to the ground The more hopeless I feel, the better And what we, are God willing, will talk about next week Is the pointer out of all of this The insanity, all of it's in step one. I always thought it was step two. It's all in step one. The whole whole garbage dump is step one, and there's a way out. And step two points to pointer out. And hopefully we can talk about that next week. That's all I got. Peace.
1: Let me thank Peter one more time. Okay, so we have some announcements. My Noah. I'm an
2: alcoholic. No. Um, in, keeping, in keeping with the seventh tradition which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are not going around. We also have uh, QR codes um, for contributions too. Um, recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. And no, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will, will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have restor- But we have been restored to sanity. That was a problem. The main problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than the body. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. We have some announcements. Um, 1940 Styles Big Book sponsorship. From the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% 50 of them uh, got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. And what we've seen... What we felt came to believe in is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to His loving arms. The statistics above suggest a seventy-five plus success percent success rate. Um, anyone needing a sponsor, um, feel f- uh, please raise your hand. Um, hi, welcome. There's a couple of us. Um, if you don't, if you don't mind, um, after the um, after the meeting's over, feel free to come stand by the piano, and someone is. I'm sure we'll be more than willing to come up and talk with us, okay? Can, I have, can we have a show of hands of those who are recovered alcoholics? Okay. So please come up after the meeting, guys, and let's get these folks back to God. Okay, so let's go to the screen announcements. Um, some announcements, if we look at the screens here. Um, the intergroup is where you can buy AA, <laughs> AA-related literature and medallions. How about that? intergroup is also resp- responsible. <laughs> for creating our when and where this, and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Um, Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Um, do we have anybody here from BCIC? Awesome. Um, uh. We can speak with you after the meeting. Um, let's see. Here are some upcoming service opportunities. Flyers are in the back. Uh, Grapevine Magazine. Um, uh, subscribe to Grapevine, Grapevine Magazine and get a free book from grapevine.org. Ooh, October 27th to the 29th of 2023, the second annual Bull in China shop. Corral, Men's 12-Step Surrender Gathering. Uh, there's flyers in the back. Okay, and as I said before, the, there's a big book, uh, primary purpose study group on Monday that is fantastic. Absolutely starts at 7.15 um, Mondays, and then the um, Thursdays are the, oh, back to the... report, back to the report. Um, alcoholics and God. Um, so, do, do, do. Yeah, see you all next week. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Noah. So, yeah, please join us Monday night for our big book study, uh, where the big book comes alive. Fellowship starts at 6.30. Big book starts at 7.15. Um, Okay, uh, so we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Whoever uh, wants to thank the speaker at the end of the meeting, please line up in the middle of the alley and thank Peter. Let's have a round of applause for Peter once again. and let's close with the lord's prayer you can remain seated our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name that thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it
5: is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and us
0: Oh,
6: Keep on smiling.
7: It's the light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine
8: Here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. The fog is lifted. I see the light. When I go to sleep at night and I dream now. See the light, count my blessings when I go to sleep at night, and I dream now. Yeah, I dream now, and everything's (laughs) alright. Oh man, going on ten years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.